Theorizing that primetime audiences were ready for a new time travel series, NBC and creator Donald Belisario debuted Quantum Leap on March 26, 1989. Starring Scott Bakula and Dean Stockwell, the series followed Dr. Sam Beckett for five seasons of time-hopping adventures, spawning novels, comics, and a fan base that has clamored for decades for a revival. Now, with Raymond Lee and Caitlin Bassett starring in a new version of the series that dangles just as many new threads as it does old ones, we'll ball the string up and explore the revival and the ways in which Quantum Leap has always entertained and inspired us here on... Oh boy. Oh boy, it's a Quantum Leap podcast, where it's the same time, and we're the same people, but everything else is different. My co-host and I found the gateway. I'm Nate, and he's Brian Martin. <laughs> nice. Brian, uh, Quantum Leap kind of threw us for a loop this week. You spend a lot of time complaining about Jen. I spend a lot of time complaining about the construct that is broadcast television. And, yeah. And I think broadcast television threw us for a loop because, you know, we expect a show to come back from a hiatus and, and be on TV for, I don't know, a sustained number of weeks. And I guess Quantum Leap was for two weeks. Two weeks. Back. Here we are. Yeah. Here we are with no new episode of Quantum Leap this it's week. It's actually might be a good move we were kind of talking about that briefly before the hiatus or we were talking about oh you know like what are mid-season finales and there's no reruns mm -hmm. they're rerunning two really good episodes that's right that's right last week they reran the bounty hunter, bounty hunter. Episode. it was the bounty so hunter episode yes. it's good it was a solid episode yeah it's a solid episode and then i think our collective favorite is running Ooh, it's the the, uh, earth, the, earthquake, the earthquake episode, episode. Mm -hmm. awesome yeah what a disaster it's called the true pilot yeah right and for those people that don't want to watch football i might just click over there and yeah show your strongest episodes i don't know if that was the intent but i think it was a good selection for anybody that, you know, my, oh, yeah, I remember this show was supposed to be coming out. Um, <laughs> I remember this show was supposed to be yeah, good. Yeah, let me take a look at this. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, so in the meantime, we're doing something a little different. Yes, we've talked on this show about <laughs> different shows, different movies that are Quantum Leap adjacent, I would say. <laughs> like, you know, whether they are time travel stories, whether they're TV shows that were so sort of cut from the same mold. And one of the shows that we've talked about a few times is the mid-90s Fox series Sliders. Sliders. <laughs> or or as the opening titles calls it, Sliders. That's right. Um, <laughs> uh, jokingly, jokingly we've creepy. talked about this show. You know? Yes. But yeah, uh, yeah. You know, I... We just had a had a thought to maybe revisit it while we're in a commercial break, essentially. And I'm glad I did, honestly. We rewatched the pilot episode of Sliders. Pilot episodes, really. It right. A it's a two-parter. Two-hour. Two-parter. Yeah. So, like we did when we started this, I, I guess I would ask, what's your experience with Sliders? I was there night one, man. I watched the pilot when it premiered. March 22nd, 1995. Right. We were a little older at that point, you know, as opposed to the pilot episode of Quantum Leap. 
Fox in particular was a network that was trying a lot of different sci-fi kind of mm-hmm. kind of shows in the 90s thanks to the success of the X-Files. Right. They were recognized for the Simpsons, they're recognized for the X-Files. Right. And there's that funny episode of the Simpsons where they do the uh, spin-off show variety showcase or whatever and Troy McClure is hosting it and it's like you might remember me from such self-help videos as smoke yourself thin and get confident, stupid. Fox came to the creators of The Simpsons with one simple request. 37 new TV shows to fill their programming schedule. And the only thing existing on the Fox schedule was The X-Files and The Simpsons. And it was a joke, but it was also pretty true. So they were trying to find material that they could get that same audience back with. Whether it was another show by Chris Carter like Millennium. Whether it was The Harsh Realm was a show on Fox at one point. That one I'm not familiar with. (laughs) I think it only ran for like a season. Space, Above and Beyond, right? Yeah. And Sliders were some of the shows that came along. And I think of those shows, Sliders was the most successful. You said you were there day one. Did you stick around through season five? (laughs) No, I did not. Uh, Did anyone? (laughs) I dipped. After season two, I want to say, or, or early in season three. I did a good job. Let's, yeah? let's be honest. That's significant. I feel like I have seen every episode of this series. But but have you? <laughs> I don't, no, I, I can't speak <laughs> for certain that I've seen it. But my relationship with Sliders is not dissimilar to that of Quantum Leap in that this is one of the shows that I remember seeing advertised and saying, I'm going to be there for that. You know? And as it turned out, I was working that night. So I caught like 15 minutes of it or 20 minutes of it on my break in that they had the little square black and white television in the break room. And uh, I got it at the right time where I got to see some of it, you know, and I don't remember necessarily after that being able to get back and watch it because I guess I worked that night most frequently or what have you. Sure. But again, the sci fi network came to my rescue with this series It was another one where I watched in syndication, you know, day after day, watching this show evolve. So I feel confident that I saw most of them, but it didn't impact the way that Quantum Leap or The X-Files or some of these other shows did. But enough that you you remember Sliders. Sure. If you remember anything specific about Sliders. If you ever saw Sliders, you remember Sliders. Yeah. But, But yeah, do you remember anything specific? Well, okay, so so before we get too deep into it, I'm going to kind of remind you or let you know what this show is. So, as I said, Sliders premiered on March 22nd of 1995. It was created by Tracy Torme and Robert K. Weiss, or two names that are recognizable to people who are into sci-fi and film, I yeah. would say. And we'll get into that in a little bit. But the series follows Quinn Mallory, played by Jerry O'Connell, a very young and... <laughs> Adorned with just lustrous hair. Yeah, and I mean, Jerry O'Connell's hair is is remarkable, but yes. Um, (laughs) As uh, Quinn Mallory, played by Jerry O'Connell, he is a college student who, as college students are wont to do, builds a device in his basement (laughs) that allows him to travel between dimensions. The creation of this device is something of a surprise to him. It's also a surprise to his friend, Wade Wells, played by Sabrina Lloyd, who is a co-worker of his. His stuffy professor, Maximilian Arturo, played by John Rhys Davies. And I haven't watched that pilot again. I'm like, I cannot believe they got John Rhys Davies. Like, yeah, I know. He brings clout to this show. Like, he right. brings some serious some validity. Clout. 
Yeah. 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 I mean, it... And then inadvertently joining him on this mission is Rembrandt Brown, also known as Crying Man, <laughs> played by Clavent Derricks, my personal favorite character on the show. No kidding. Oh, wow. Like, I mean, <laughs> to me, Crying Man, in, especially in the pilot, I'm like, I love this guy. Yeah. All the way through. I love this guy. And again, they went on five seasons of adventures. The cast changed yeah. periodically. That was something that happened on sliders that maybe some other sci-fi shows didn't endure in five right. seasons. I mean, even the X-Files held it together for that long uh, the, before changing the crying cast man members. is the, yeah, the crying man is the one character that made it all the way to the all, end. All He's the way the to the end of the show. Yeah. Only original cast member that made it to the finale. It's, it's wild. Yeah. But what else is he going to do? <laughs> Everybody <laughs> else found something to do. <laughs> I think a lot of people are still linking Jerry O'Connell to this show, though. I mean, like, when you think of Jerry O'Connell, what comes to mind, if not sliders? You know, outside of what, Jerry Maguire, I think this is kind of his claim to fame. This and I think he was, what, in Scream by two, he, he was in Scream 2. He was in Scream 2. He was in Stand By Me. I don't know what else. And he's not bad in this. No, like, he's, he's actually really he's good. actually like, really good, yeah. <laughs> he's pretty delightful. He sells this sort of brilliant college student yeah who is so invested in what he's doing that he doesn't realize that he's sort of forsaking every social interaction he has with anybody else right right he right. just kind of is they, so hyper focused on it yeah he's very singular minded he's actually really good in this show and i actually enjoyed it a lot more than i anticipated enjoying it to to be <laughs> honest yeah yeah it was a good rewatch it was fun. No doubt it was fun. Do you want to give it a breakdown? Where did the team slide this week? So <laughs> nowhere for a while, because obviously they had to create the device and, and kind of get things underway. But it's a very efficiently told first episode, I think. That it first is. hour just yeah. moves at a steady clip. You are introduced to the characters very effectively. Yes. And the concept is spelled out for you. Very, very clearly. And I think that first hour owes itself to one very specific pop culture franchise, top down. But yeah. Quinn has built this thing in his basement. He was trying to build something related to anti-gravity. Right. And instead, this portal opens. And the portal is sort of the end of a long string of test runs he's done with this device. And we know this because he sits in his basement and watches the videos of that he's recorded of himself doing these things, which right. seems weird to me, especially because some of the times he's watching it, he looks at it like he's never seen it before. <laughs> like, or he he's... looks at it like, whoa, did you see that? It's like, yeah, yeah. you that's you, man. <laughs> you did that. He's um, very, yeah, he's very enamored with himself, you know. Yes. <laughs> but I mean, moments. look at that hair. You look yeah. at that hair. That's, of course he is. Stud he's muffin. like, oh, you clever dog. <laughs> <laughs> so along the way, while he's doing this, he goes to school. We are introduced to his professor, Arturo. He goes to work where we meet Wade. We discover that Quinn is very much an outspoken part of this team that works at a pseudo Best Buy kind of electronics store where it's all right. about make the sale, make the sale. Don't worry about what you're selling them. And Quinn's like, nah, this product is, is crap. We shouldn't right. be selling this to them. And I say that Quinn is pretty clueless when it comes to the relationships around him. His co-worker Wade, played by Sabrina Lloyd, is 
extremely horny for him. Let's just say that. <laughs> this first hour, I was alarmed by how horny Wade is most of the time. <laughs> <laughs> and she's the second most archaic thing on this show, I think, as far as her character goes. You don't see characters like her anymore, oh, at least okay. as presented in that pilot, okay. the first hour yeah. of the pilot. Second hour does her a little bit more service, I think. Sure. But early on, she's really just there to pine over Quinn. And there's a moment at the end of the episode when she and Arturo fall out of the portal and, and she lands on Arturo and she kind of looks at him like, uh, I could work with this. <laughs> you know, for... what you got from that look. <laughs> I, I, you know, yes, I did. I did. I was like, well, why right. is she? She's thinking maybe. She's thinking maybe was... right now. See, I, I read it as, well, this is awkward. <laughs> but. Mm. I mean, it definitely was, but she's, yeah. uh, I, I guess she's more like the Captain Kirk of this team. You know, this is like, I'm, I'll bone anything. Um, yeah. <laughs> but anyway, so she's just very taken with Quinn. It's kind of a very Egon Janine kind of dynamic. Yeah, that's fair. And then Quinn cracks the code. He discovers that he can go through this portal. He goes in, experiences life in a dimension that is, I would say, a very soft alternative. Instead of green lights meaning go, the red lights mean go if parallel universes had training wheels that would look like this. Right, right? exactly. Um, so much so he that he doesn't initially yeah. realize that he's slid to another dimension. Mm -hmm. He considers it a failure. You know, he's just gone through, oh, well, nothing happened. Um, guess I'm on my way to school. And the guy on the radio's a little off and talking about things that maybe don't sound the same. Like um, global cooling or things like that. Global cooling. Right? Like just, of... just, everything is the opposite. It's like opposite day. Right. And so he's there for a little while, Comes back, the device works as intended, the timer, the, the portal opens back up, he comes through and realizes soon that another Quinn, the Quinn from that universe, actually came to, to his universe at the same time. Yeah, while he was and, gone. And sort of, you know, played around with his uh, interpersonal relationships a little bit. A few people were a little bit upset with him. But this Quinn that came over, who we meet later in the episode, is actually not a bad guy. He's just way more seasoned than Arquin is. In fact, he's right. the one, he's like, I coined the term sliders, and he showed him how to complete the equation to make the device work properly. And Arturo and Wade are invited to Quinn's house so he can apologize. This is weird. He invited them, and I believe Professor Arturo just assumed that it must be for an apology, given the actions of Quinn's double earlier, having called him a blowhard and... Yeah. attacked him for his theories and whatnot and now of course oh well i'm owed an apology and that must be why i'm here but really it was just to show off this portal like quinn thought of the two people that he really wanted to show this thing to and it was his best buddy and his mentor professor yeah it makes sense right he powers up the portal and it's a little bit small i mean john reese davies is a man of <laughs> ample proportions and uh He's like, can you make it a little bigger? And <laughs> Quinn is like, well, I guess we can try. He jacks up the power on it. The portal gets big, it swallows him, and then just starts moving around. It goes right. through the wall, goes out into the road, and it swallows up the car being driven by Rembrandt Brown when he's on his way to the baseball park to sing the national sing anthem. The national it's supposed anthem. to be his big, big comeback. Right. Rembrandt had been a member of a group called the Spinning Tops. <laughs> and he's just trying to make it back, man. Yeah. And so he gets swallowed up in this portal, as do the other three, and they're spit out on a far less hospitable alternate world this right. time. There are no people. They see no one there. It's just snow. It's ice. Everything is frozen. 
and there are just storms, like a tornado's bearing down on them. In order to escape, without having to wait for the timer to open the portal back up, Quinn sort of speeds things along, and in the process, shorts out the controller. Mm-hmm. So when they go back through the portal, now they have no more control over getting home. And of course, we don't realize that right away. Nope. They it think looks like they've they made home. it home, but it looks like they got home, but didn't quite make it there because the statue in the uh, in Golden Gate Park of Abe Lincoln has now become one of oh, who, who was Lennon. it? Was it Lennon? Lennon? Lennon. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And so that doesn't bode well. And in the right. second part of the premiere episode, they spend basically the entirety of that second hour in this parallel universe. It's sort of the structure that the show will become known for as it moves right. forward. And I thought that was really really smart, even when I saw it back as you know, 16-year-old, 15-year-old watching this. Right. That it got you in and then sort of acclimated you to what the series will look like week to week. And so they're in this world where the Soviets have overrun America. Right. And a small band of freedom fighters led by, uh, well, that universe is Wade Wells. Right. Are struggling to get by in this communist world. So Yeah. Uh, I feel like we should probably treat this the way we did Leap Home Parts 1 and just kind of attack these episodes individually because the first one and the second one, like you were alluding to here, they're very different structurally. Yes. The second half of this pilot is far more formulaic to what the rest of the show is going to end up being. Yeah. The thing that I really found impressive about this show is the structure. The storytelling structure is remarkably good. Yes. You know? And I don't know if it's by luxury of having the entire hour to work with, you know, if we're going to compare it to our Quantum Leap reboot here. But the slow unraveling is just perfect. In fact, the very first scene, Quinn Mallory being overly excited about the discovery of this thing on one of his videotapes. Okay, so it opens and it's just him like shocked at whatever this thing is that he doesn't understand and it's just this most amazing thing and you can read it on his face how excited he is by this mystery Mm -hmm. and you can't help but also be excited about whatever it is that he's discovered and they don't tell you and it kind of cuts and then you get this great opening a la back to the future where that's the franchise i was talking about honestly this 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 pilot is back to the future they hit all the right notes yes. because like yeah. this opening sequence is like the epitome of show don't tell that mm-hmm. we've talked about before with our, our series here. You open with just a tour of his bedroom, you know, a slow pan across his walls and the things that are in his room and how he lives. It's a good mixture of, oh, well, he's a sports fan. He's a surfer. He's got a telescope. He's a scientist. He's got Albert Einstein on his wall. His room's kind of a mess. You look in the room and you get to know this person within just a few seconds even of touring the environment. You're like, oh, I know somebody like this. And then, of course, it pans up to him having fallen asleep in his clothes with a science book on his chest. And And there you go. That's everything you need to know about this guy right there. Right away. Right. And you don't need a, need a dinner party. You know, right. <laughs> Jerry O'Connell would have read that everyone. script. Would have read that script and like known exactly what to do with that character coming out of it. Exactly. You know, like, yeah. It's just it gives him everything he needs to go off of. It gives us everything we need to go off of. There's nothing that is withheld here. Right. 
you know. In fact, you even find out that he's both a San Francisco 49ers fan and an Oakland A's fan, which makes no, no sense. No, that doesn't that doesn't comport but (laughs) (laughs) but outside of that you know from there from there you just kind of go through one of his daily routines and end up meeting the people that he interacts with on a daily basis and you're introduced to them in the perfect dynamic of here's how our lead character interacts with the people that will be in his ensemble right you get to know them this is how you structure a story and so much of it is visual as opposed to dictation. The scene where we meet Crying Man comes really late into the episode. Which is to good. The ex- to the extent that I was like, God, does this even happen in this episode? Like, I remember the portal swallowing up the car. Right. But I was like, surely we met Crying Man before that happened, right? Yeah, like one scene, I think. With his, uh, what well, I guess his agent is in the room with him, right? Or his manager, and, yeah. Yeah, his manager is there. And his manager is watching video of Rembrandt singing with the spinning tops mm-hmm. and he's like oh man i gosh that stuff the old stuff was so good you know right. and uh rembrandt sticks his head out looking older and you can tell from what's happening here just contextually that this is a guy who's looking for a comeback right right mm-hmm. and then you know everything you need to know about rembrandt brown yeah and the timing is perfect in this pilot because he's the stranger Yes. You know, the ensemble that they've put together here is just a really good one. I really like it. Quinn that we've already described. And then you've got the will they won't they character. Right. Right. The mentor mm-hmm. character. And then for good measure of an ensemble, a complete stranger from an entirely different walk of life. Right. That's sucked along with them for the duration. And it's, it's sort of like a good mixture. It's like a Fantastic Four kind of combo where it's sure. like. You know, Johnny Storm's only there because he's Sue's brother. Right. And, you know, and, and you've got Ben Grimm, who's got a long history with Reed. And the will they or won't they is Sue and Reed. You know, it's it's, it's a very similar structure to that. It's just a classic kind of get the gang together kind of story. You know, right. Um, right. A lot of I mean, and, and it's not just comics, but um, a lot of Belgian comics in particular follow the sort of oh, yeah. Doc Marty dynamic where you've got this eccentric scientist <laughs> and a younger partner and they go off and have adventures. And it's like, you know, we see it in our modern world through Rick and Morty, but this sort of dynamic and archetype exists throughout time for a reason. You know, it's like right. a super effective way to pull your audience in. You're sort of maximizing the net everyone's going to have someone that they can relate to. And the show does just amazingly well. I gave Wade a little bit of a hard time (laughs) when I was describing it because she really does seem to function solely as a person who pines over Quinn. But I also think back to the shows that are on Fox during that era, like, you know, you've got Melrose Place, 90210. That was, was a female character motif on Fox at that point. You're not wrong. You're and, not and, wrong, but you know, she little becomes bit of, more than that. She becomes yeah, I was going to say, in some defense, even in this episode, it does become more of a look at what's right in front of you, dummy. Yes. Kind of situation, more so than, oh, why doesn't he notice me? It becomes more like. <laughs> She's more like, than a hey, Lichtenstein idiot. painting, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, like, here I am. What you're looking for is right in front of you. And yeah. It's a good little dynamic there. And the fact that they do introduce Rembrandt that late is perfect given that he's the stranger. Yeah. So and it, it, you're it's introduced a pure to, accident. Yeah. And he's a stranger to us as much as he is to them when the adventure starts. 
which yep. I think must be intentional. And if it wasn't, then <laughs> good for good for them. I think it works. Oh, one hundred percent. It was. It yeah. Was, I I don't know that you could have fit his introduction in anywhere else in that episode. Other because than they unravel, yeah, because they set you know? it up so nicely. Yes, uh, the the, yeah. ry- the rhythm that they get into, the placement's intentional, I believe. As this story was opening, we talked before about liking slow burns as stories and not needing to hurry things along the way some writers are these days. But I enjoyed the structure so much. The only thing I noticed is eventually you do realize that you're going to fall victim to some '90s television dialogue. Yes, <laughs> most most specifically with Quinn and his mother, and then of course, as you were saying, uh, between Wade and Quinn, that there's some scenes in there that you're just like, yeah, okay, that's television dialogue right there. People don't right, talk that's, like that. <laughs> that's TV in the '90s, and I said that Wade was kind of the second thing that really stands out as sort of a product of the '90s. Uh-huh. Um, the first thing is the special effects, and God love them oh, for good. what they did. That portal effect and everything surrounding it is like, I made a note, it was like, the best you could get with Windows 95. <laughs> that, that's what it felt like to me. You I was what? like, oof. I was putting, yeah, okay. I was putting some notes down about that too. I've got a note about the special effects. But the funny thing is, is that bubble effect of the wormhole is, mm-hmm. yeah, you can like get it on Windows. It's like a screensaver. It's a screensaver. It's, also, it's right? definitely a screensaver. It looks like a birthing canal. Like when they're, when they're it's going definitely, through that. It's like if you mixed a water slide and a birthing canal, you'd get the <laughs> portal to other universes. The actual opening, though, that you can kind of walk around. I, I had my notebook out and I was like, you know what? Yeah, it's kind of cheap, but it works. It's perfect. It, it, it's fine. It and works. then... Just as I was putting pen to paper, the double shows up, and they've got this awful split-screen special effect to try and put Jerry O'Connell in with Jerry O'Connell, and you can't even tell the one in the foreground is Jerry O'Connell. It could just as easily be a double, and I was like, there's like a cut in the film, you know, and it's just horrendous. And then we get into the storm on the second world, and that's just a nightmare of special effects. Oh, man, the the tornado that comes bearing down on them, it's like, what is that? It looks like somebody (laughs) just took the frame of film and put a greasy fingerprint smudge on it and just ran the length of the film. It's not, yeah, it's not good. Given where this show came from and how much its existence and all of Fox's sci-fi exploits owe themselves to the X-Files. The X-Files had such a well-defined look so early in its run. It didn't yeah. look like anything else on TV except Twin Peaks. Right. I think there's a reason for that, right? Even the effects on the X-Files are used so sparingly that... And, yeah, usually in shadow with flashlights, you know? <laughs> they're obscured or they're just lights moving fast through the sky. So right. it's never so jarring that it pulls you out of it. Every minute of sliders looked like a mid-90s syndicated TV show. Like Stargate or something like that. With Fox's power behind this, I would have expected it to maybe be a little bit more polished. And I don't just mean the effects. I mean the entire look of the show. Yeah, no, you're right. Looks, the lighting. Yes. every, every Very part flat. Of it. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I think my complaint there has more to do with how effective the X-Files was than anything else. Because The X-Files is one of my favorite, best-looking shows on TV, I think. 
ever. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, uh, they were trying to strike gold again, and it seems strange to have this flat sitcom lighting. None of the direction yes. is particularly interesting. There is one shot I did make note of that I actually really enjoyed, but other than that, I mean, you're right. It could just be on Saturday afternoon as well as primetime television. Yeah. Oh, well, this is real television, and this one over here is kind of popcorn stuff. And that's the way it ends up. I guess being. I guess you're right. And I guess Sliders makes no aspirations to be the X-Files. The Sliders are much more adjacent to something like Quantum Leap. Right. Where it's this a different story every week. But even Quantum Leap. Quantum Leap has a look, though. It has a look. Yeah. Sliders never really achieved that. It has a high concept and it's sort of riding yeah. on that. Even Next Generation, which was on at the same time, has a look. The lighting mm -hmm. is flat, but because of the era and the design of the ship and whatever, it has a look and you know what you're watching. You know, if you yes. if you tune into Sliders and it just happens to be a shot of a park, it could be any show and you don't know what you're watching until the characters show up. Or Right, you're like, well, well, I know that I mean? thing's in San Francisco, so I guess this is Full House. Yeah, exactly. You know, like, that's, right. that's kind of it. You're absolutely right. Now, yeah. you mentioned Next Generation. Tracy Torme, one of the mm -hmm. co-creators of this show, was born out of the Next Generation talent farm, really. Right. Uh, he was a writer on Next Generation. And the son of Mel Torme. Is that for real? Wow. Yeah. I looked Look into it because I was like, oh, well, Torme. Like, how many Tormes are there? I mean, but I guess that's a good point. Yeah. <laughs> but a lot of the people behind Next Generation kind of branched out to other things the same way x-files writers would get poached and like space above and beyond was the product of two x-files writers right yeah okay and and so torme is you know a next generation alum coming in and doing this show and i think he does a remarkable job with the pilot you know with the first the, half uh, of the pilot at the very least <laughs> first half of the pilot and uh robert k weiss credited as co-creator on the show also a pretty storied hollywood producer who <laughs> produced such movies as a, a scary movie four, I think. Uh, okay. <laughs> but, Tommy Boy but was had, in there, I think. Uh-huh, yep. And John Landis is also an executive producer on the show. Yeah. I noticed that in the credits. And Dennis McCarthy did the music for the pilot. I don't remember if Dennis McCarthy went on to do more music for I'm this. not familiar with that name. I don't know Dennis uh, so, McCarthy. Dennis McCarthy did the score for Generations, Star Trek Generations. So Dennis McCarthy came out of Star Trek as well. Yeah, I, they were kind of TV journeymen, I think, also. Yes, yeah. And uh, at least Torme, I believe, in looking it up, really only spent like the first season or first season and a half of Next Generation before, you know. Like so, mm -hmm. he was in the he was in the ground level or whatever. But by the time it had found its stride, he was off doing other things. I think. Yeah, yeah. And then both of these creators jumped ship on their own show by the third season of it. So, uh, uh, most a lot of people some involved network, with the show did. Yeah, <laughs> a lot of network interference on this show would be my guess, given that scenario. But uh, look, I uh, the only thing I can say about the later seasons of this show is that. For a Brian who is 16 or 17 to stop watching this show when Carrie Werher is added to the cast <laughs> really says something. Yeah. Because it's the mid-90s. Carrie Werher is about the best you can get in terms of just attractive Cinemax yeah. woman. Yeah. You know? 
Here's right, an attractive in your, woman from Cinemax. In your sci-fi comic style shows. Precisely. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I get you. I have to believe if I went back and watched them now, I'd be very unenthused about those later seasons. Yeah. Well, I think we're going to get there. <laughs> 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 After watching this, I might want to poke my head back into this series at some yeah, point. Yeah, it's, it's so much fun. And even the, the second episode where it gets pretty dark. Yeah, is, there are moments of levity in there, and and I mean like true, honest to god levity, mostly due to Rembrandt. Right, he uh, is I your think. he is your comic relief for the most part. Rembrandt is like a proto Ruby Rod, only not <laughs> annoying. Right, like like it's like if you cranked Ruby Rod from Fifth Element down to about a two, yeah, you'd get Rembrandt Brown. Like I said. The first half of this pilot, you know, outside of the things we discussed, like the the television dialogue and the look of the show, the writing is really a masterclass in setting up your story. Yeah. Like they seem awfully concerned that people are going to confuse dimensional travel with like time travel. And they do. Yeah. And they bring other Quinn in and he gives a he provides a metaphor. Well, he actually provides a simile. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but, but, but the me- <laughs> the metaphor well let's be sure yeah let's be sure the, we've got that right the, the metaphor and it's a the, yeah okay the metaphor he provides is just as succinct and direct and clear as the one that al provides in the pilot for quantum leap right it's like, right. imagine your life is a piece of string. You tie the ends together, you ball it up, the days touch out of sequence, bada bing, you got it. Right. And what other Quinn says to Prime Quinn here is that, imagine the galaxy, the universe, is a roulette wheel. Right. With an infinite number of slots. Mm-hmm. And this device is the thing that turns you into the ball. Right. right. Where are you going to pop out? We don't know. Right? right, you never know where you're going to pop up, but it's going to be somewhere in this infinite roulette wheel of universes. And I was like, "Boom, you're done!" Yeah, like we right, got it, sense. you know? Right, right. Great, great metaphor. It was. That's it's it's really good. The thing I might take issue with, and I, I mean, I don't know. It actually warrants discussion, I think. But wh- how do you feel about a Quinn double coming in and solving it? for your protagonist isn't that i like i can't really grasp how i feel about it like it seems to work well in unfolding of the story and you know what brings arturo and wade back to his house and and those interactions like story-wise it works but part of me thinks well don't you want your most interesting person to be your lead in which case should quinn not have broken that code himself Sure. Uh, is yeah. he a lesser Quinn because he wasn't the one that, and then he broke the thing and now they're lost or is, right. You know Should he mean? have never had this responsibility to begin with? Right. Would he have gotten there on his own? Part of the reason we nerds will pick up on this is because of the prime directive, right? The Starfleet prime directive, which dictates that you can't engage with a pre-warp society, right? Like right. they can't be familiar with your warp technology if they haven't discovered it themselves yet. Right. Right. That does beg the question, would this Quinn have ever discovered it? Is this Quinn just bouncing around and saying, hey, Quinn, come here, I got something to show you. Well, he's likely to get lost anyway, because he's already created the portal. He did that by himself, by accident, which, 
I want to come back and get your thoughts on like the story since it's coming up. I love the techno babble. Like you talked about the roulette wheel, the idea that he was working on anti-grav mm-hmm. and they've talked with the professor of theoretical physics about how gravitational fields large enough could theoretically rip a hole in space time yeah. and open up. So no, this thing can't actually exist if we're looking at reality, but at least they're using some kind of pseudoscience that means something. There's a scientific theory that governs what is happening on this show, right? Right. I've got a show about interdimensional travel. I need to tear a wormhole into another world. What would do that? Gravity. So you end up getting a character like Quinn who would be your Sam Beckett of this universe in that he's an exceptional brain. Yeah. An exceptional person, as it turns out. And only somebody of that caliber would be able to create a portal to another universe. And I love that it's science and not like magic or aliens or something like there's right. Like if you wanted something to like, oh, I've got a group of characters that slide from different worlds and every week we could see a different world. Well, how do they do it? I don't know. They got a magic gym from an alien that came down and it just opens, you know, like there's other ways they could do it. No, this brilliant teenager accidentally discovered it in his basement. Like that's that's great. That's great. I think it's a very easy concept to grasp. I think it does the audience a favor, and it's, I think it's great, the, the way they introduce it, it, the way they conceive of it. As little science as is necessary to have me grasp something, like you said, the roulette wheel, the fact that gravity is what's initiating this process of ripping the hole in space-time, as opposed to the quantum leap, this temporal momentum that they're talking about, and I have yet to understand what they're trying to tell me. Right. Yes. And this is some cruddy show from the 90s, you know, (laughs) like if somebody had just been had sliders on in the background while they were scripting that pilot or something. We could have done better. Right. It's just it's just shocking to me. But I want to get back on track because we're a couple of creatives and I really am kind of wrestling with does this other Quinn give our Quinn the answer? And is that a good idea? Is that a script note? All right. So here's what. I would do. (laughs) If it were me, I would have reintroduced that other Quinn later in the season. And I would have learned that other Quinn had a specific motivation to do that. Like, potentially self-serving. I think that I would have probably revisited that and said, like, this guy kicked it off. Whether it's like he's trying to funnel energy to something or, or, or... Whether he's just trying to get Quinn off of his Earth so he can go there and do something... Malicious. Like a nefarious like, streak or something? Right. Malicious thing? Yeah, okay. yeah. I probably would have revisited it like that. I feel like as it is, no, it's a bit of a cheat. I think we are owed, the audience is owed a chance to see this Quinn as the person who cracks the code. Just seeing the other one and saying, ah, he'll, he'll get there eventually. It's a very Star Trek four transparent aluminum kind of moment, right? How do we know he didn't <laughs> invent the thing, right? Yeah, um, right. But we know from the second episode that the differences between a Quinn in one dimension and a Quinn in another can be vast, right? Right. So who's to say our Quinn ever would have cracked the code on it? You know, completely. Yeah, that's true. As I'm kind of mulling this over, it's almost, he's really just doing an exposition dump for the audience because, yes, and it's a good one. Like you said, the roulette wheel, it's a good one, but the portal's already been created. 
Like he's and already done. He's, yeah, he's already, already got a timer. He's got a timer that says the basketball is going to come back. Less like a pre-warp society and more like Star Trek First Contact, where Zephram Cochran made the jump and then the Vulcans came to say hello. Right. Okay. <laughs> Other Quinn is the Vulcans in this scenario. Or Bill and Ted. Excellent! Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. Their adventure begins with their future selves coming back and telling them to go on the trip. Right. Right. That's another good structural story. Functions the same way, right? This other Quinn who's more experienced is saying, these are the adventures you're going to go on. Be excellent to each other. Right. So right. it kind of sets the whole thing into motion. Like that. Yeah, that's true. I guess as I continue to think about it, it wasn't even 100% necessary that he have solved that. Maybe if I had another pass at the script, maybe I wouldn't have that Quinn solve the equation for him necessarily. Because the equation if I'm not mistaken, would have been what made the timer work so that you could find your way back every time, right? Right. Well, no, he was going to come back anyway. It was just that he, all it did was say, don't mess with the timer while you're on a slide. Or maybe, right? or maybe don't adjust the amount of energy. Right. Or else the portal I've... will just start... I think it was the you know, coming back early around. that messed everything up, though, right? Wasn't it? Yeah, the that, com- was the like, thing, that was the thing that screwed it all. And up. that was, I think, what he was trying to tell him before he got, you know, sucked away into his own portal. Oh, duh. but he did ninety nine point nine percent of the work, uh, right? Yeah, I, I'll yeah. give it to him. Yeah, yeah, and I guess the most important thing is that he'd be the most interesting Quinn. I wouldn't want to follow that other Quinn anyway. Yeah, he seemed like yeah. kind of a dick, <laughs> kind of a jerk. Yeah, exactly. I like drawing the parallels to Sam Beckett because the thing that I have said about Sam Beckett in the past is only a person like this could invent time travel. Right. It it makes it believable that in each world he may end up interacting with himself because he's an exceptional person that's going to make some kind of impact on any world that he's on. As we slide a little bit over into this next episode why Wade would be a freedom fighter leader on this world. They start to show you the formula, which is great. Okay, well, in the second half, like you mentioned, this is the formula of the show. And this is what your standard episode is going to be like. They're going to run into different versions of themselves on different worlds. And different versions of other people that they recognize. Like the cab driver or the shyster lawyer from the commercial. That's my favorite. Yeah, that, yeah, that's my that's favorite nice. moment. Rembrandt's captured, and the guy interrogating him is the lawyer from their yeah. their universe. Yeah, and he's so taken a yeah <laughs> taken aback by what Rembrandt seems to know. Yeah, but yeah, 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 it is. It's great. That being said, like I discovered that I stopped taking notes on the second episode, and it, it wasn't <laughs> until I wrote down Quinn is a badass when he does that weird karate move all of a sudden and disarms oh, yeah. that soldier. And I was like, oh, well, apparently he's also a badass. And then I realized I hadn't written anything about the second episode. <laughs> I'm pretty I'm pretty amazed at how quickly the sliders acclimate to the level of violence on the world oh, okay. in yeah. the second hour. It's almost like old hat for them. And I mean, this is way before, you know, mass shootings were commonplace. So I don't know how much experience they yeah. would have had with like open gunfire. They handle themselves pretty well. After a little bit of trepidation right? early on. And it's, I guess, successful in that it gives you a simple enough notion of what has changed 
You know, this is the 90s and the Soviet Union has taken over the United States. Like that is something that people of the time could just get. Oh, okay, I understand that one change. And this is why the whole world is so afraid of. Yeah. yeah. Right. For so long, we were afraid of this happening. And now it has. Yeah. This is what it it would be like. Maybe. It's it's, a little more cartoony (laughs) than what it would really be like. (laughs) Right? Yeah. It doesn't. But it It leads to, and I did not remember this, but I was just floored by the the biggest gag in this episode that I just did not expect at all. Which Um, is the... Rembrandt is taken into custody and is told that he is going to be put before the people's court. Oh. (laughs) And you think, oh, well, that's just what they call it. And then, all of a sudden, there's Doug Llewellyn. Yep. The announcer for the people's court. And Rembrandt is hauled into the actual people's court with Judge Wapner. Right. I did not remember this happening. No, uh, I didn't either. But as soon as Doug Llewellyn showed up, I was like, oh my God, it's Doug Llewellyn. And right. then, then and Wapner then himself Wapner comes himself. out. <laughs> I'm like, well, good on them for making the transition to a communist society. But uh, <laughs> I actually wrote in all caps in my notes, oh shit. Doug Llewellyn on the People's Court. <laughs> was the so, People's Court airing on Fox at the time? Is that I don't know. I think how it was in worked? syndication. The greatest thing that Doug Llewellyn says, the defendant dubiously claims that he is not of this earth and should not be <laughs> held accountable to the laws of civilization. <laughs> Which is... Oh, yeah, just, they play just, it just completely remarkable. straight. It's good for, good just for them. Just remarkable. Oh yeah. my god. If we actually have a younger audience at all, this is the 90s version of Judge Judy we're talking yes. about. Yes. Yeah. The People's yeah, Court is the original Judge Joe Brown, Judge Wapner. Yep. Great it's fun. Good for a laugh. This, uh, yeah. Yeah. Good for a laugh in what would otherwise be, you know, like I said, I stopped taking notes because it really felt very run of the mill and became. Like, I'm not going to, I'm not going to yeah. forget anything that happened because I've seen it. And I know how these plots go, you know? Yeah, yeah. It's It could have been anything, really, you know? And it could have just been any other week. And they end up being kind of like that. Again, this is a show that I wouldn't want a th- through thread in. Like, mm-hmm. I, like, I prefer that it just be an episodic. But I feel like this was a very obvious way to go. And I'm of two minds of it. One, a very obvious change which is easy to digest for a new audience but also kind of for a pilot like there seems like there's more creativity out there than you know the united states under the ussr you know yeah I, i i do think i do think they needed to do something like this that was pronounced it made for a huge action sequence at the end. And I kind of marveled at that. Like the ambition of the shootout and the escape. There must have been a hundred extras yeah. <laughs> on that set. True. And this is like a this is just a That's television where your money show. went. That's why you got a That's why Windows you got that. 95 tornado in the <laughs> first screensaver. <laughs> it's like yeah, they should have just had them going through that. You remember that like brick wall maze screensaver? <laughs> That's or what just they the stars tried. that came towards you. Uh, oh man, yeah, yeah, but, no, oh but, yeah, the the actual tube sliding part. I, yeah. I think if it were me, I would have like 
fought against that. It's so unnecessary. And the animation lasts about seven seconds longer than it needs to. And it's, <laughs> it's yeah, like it and it's ugly. And, and I mean, even at the time, I remember thinking this is kind of dumb. All you really need is the flash of light after they jump into the bubble. It looks you know? like you're. Get, it looks like you're watching video of somebody getting an endoscopy. That's what it's <laughs> like. <laughs> like. It's just. It's just a weird. It kind of feels like Clippy from oh Windows God. 95 would pop up and say, "Are you going through a wormhole right now?" <laughs> <laughs> I see you've entered another existence. <laughs> <laughs> Greetings, um, comrade. <laughs> <laughs> Clippy is definitely a communist. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, yeah, I think I think it serves the purpose of making a change that is drastic for the audience, familiar for the audience, and provides the show a chance to have this big climactic third act fight. The stakes never really let up until the very end when they uh, slowly run back to the park and they're slowly it's pursued true. by a bunch of people on foot. And then the phone company. The right. Yeah. <laughs> They're uh, being chased by AT&T or PT&T. Yeah. Yes. It still doesn't look like its own show. Even in this, you know, where they have to put some set dressing on the real world, you know, your random burning car. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Hammer and sickle everywhere and everybody's got guns. There's a lot of um, very familiar things in a show. Yeah. That, I mean, and I got to say, like the concept of parallel dimension travel in the mid 90s for a civilian who's not steeped in comics and mm -hmm. anime and, and, and this sort of stuff is kind of a hard pill to swallow. Probably more than time is travel it? is. Is it? I feel I, I feel like it's got to be. Like The writers seem to think it was really difficult to understand. It does seem like they explain it to people multiple times. And I'm like, are we not getting this? I think they knew something about society that we weren't hip to yet. Nate. Maybe. That's that... As as my old boss at the movie theater once famously said, the general public are idiots. <laughs> <laughs> I guess that's true. It doesn't seem that confusing to me. But then again, I'm reading DC Comics at the time, which is at the height of its multiverse. Uh, sure, so, sure. Like, I mean, I already comic knew. readers were extremely familiar with the concept of worlds living and worlds dying at that point, I think. Right. Fair enough. 1995 this premiered. The year before that, Marvel canceled its entire line of X-Men books and relaunched them as the Age of Apocalypse. Oh, wow. Right? That's like, that the, was 94. Man, that's putting it in a time capsule for me. Boy, that was so, the yeah. height of my comic buying. Absolutely. Like, I mean, six books a week or something I was reading. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh. But I feel like people that don't get it right away wouldn't be that interested in it, right? But then again, Back to the Future, I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know either. I, I guess I guess it would depend on, and I don't remember enough about it. I, it would depend on what episodes came next. The amount of things that I can pick out of my memory from this series are kind of few and far between, and maybe the bigger things like Charlie O'Connell being on the show. <laughs> right, and, right. Yeah, Jerry's <laughs> and, uh, brother and, shows up. Right, and the Cro-Mags, like... Oh I my remember God, the Cro-Mags. Cro I remember they were like the Cro-Mags. The evil leapers of Sliders. Dang, yeah, I'd forgotten about them completely, but well, there it is. <laughs> Sliders, even the second episode where they're putting the, the dressings on for another Earth, still didn't define itself with a look, but it did feel like the Flash from that same era. Flash the with John Flash. Wesley ship. Yeah. Um, yeah. I remember the, the pilot 
episode of that series, which is a, a two-part pilot, and they had like biker gangs and stuff that had guns very similarly in it. It felt like that show to me for a little while when they were going through the maximum security prison. That's and, fair. And That's definitely fair. It definitely looked like that. Yeah. So I guess it's just but, a shame that this show doesn't have, at least at this point, a visual stamp. Something where you could see a, just a shot from it and know what you were looking at. Obviously, other shows from that era achieve that. Like, we talked about The X-Files and, and Twin Peaks. Uh, uh, Max Headroom's another one from the late 80s that has a very distinct visual. They could have gone with, like, a varied look. Like, I mean, with a show not unlike Quantum Leap, a show that goes to a different Earth every week is prime for some inventive directors that are just kind of... Just use a damn filter. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a little buried lighting or something. Anything could have looked different every week done something really creative but no they had to hire all those stunt performers right <laughs> but since i brought up directing uh it does take me back to one of the other things that was show don't tell that i really loved i'm sorry i didn't mention it earlier was the squeaky gate oh, the squeaky gate i have there because that was one of the things i absolutely remembered about this pilot yeah the cue in terms of whether you're home or not Right. Uh, the squeaky gate, just absolutely brilliant. Yeah. Like, what it's a great a good... device. And it's all these years I still remember it. I was like, that's that's how you know that was a good idea. The first time he opens the gate and it squeaks, they're shooting that from a low angle with the hinge in the foreground. Like, you can't miss it. And mm -hmm. the action is not, hey, note this squeaky gate. He's just walking through the gate. It's just the way, hinge like, is the rushing focus. home. Yeah. Right. The hinge is the focus and the noise is there. And later in the episode when he's not home and he goes through the gate and he opens it and it doesn't squeak, he doesn't stop and go, the gate didn't squeak. This is weird. But he does stop a second, like, and moves it back and forth, I think, or something. Yes. Sort of yes. Like, what? You know, like, he doesn't say anything, but the look on O'Connell's face, it's a good acting moment. You know, I, people talk about okay, it's not dramatic and it's not a death scene, but it is, oh, here's, oh, I get it. This right. person he's, is... Right, he's conveying something to you. It's, he's selling the message, in, right? In it's... just his look, yeah, which is, yes. this is out of the ordinary. I don't want to sit here and, like, Monday morning quarterback the Quantum Leap pilot, but, you know, I guess it's sort You're of fair. what we're here to yeah, do. That's fair. And comparing it to sliders, like bringing this conversation full circle and bringing it back to our original, like, mission statement, Let's say the episode had started with Addison being contacted, just like Al was by Gushy, and mm -hmm. Ben was in the accelerator. Right. And then he leaps, and then you find out via flashbacks with each of the characters. They flashback to a moment that meant something to them with Ben. And Addison is the very last one, and that's when you find out at the, almost the end of the hour that the two of them were engaged. You get a flashback with Ian, you get a flashback with Magic, you get each one, member of the team gets a flashback, and right out of the gate, you say, oh, Ben means this to Ian because of this, and Ben means this to Magic because of this moment, or, or things like that, rather than just having them at this dinner party where they're all kind of interacting, and you don't get really a, a lot to go on, right, before right. we start this adventure, and I think we still don't know what Jen's deal is, right? Not really. <laughs> like, right, yeah. Why are you here? Something like that could have done her uh, a favor early on. Yeah, I I don't know. I kind of feel like, I don't know how to write a television pilot, but I kind of feel like it 
didn't all need to be told right then. Like, you know, like I didn't don't need to know what Ian's relationship is with Ben in the very first episode of a television. It's just too much. There's time. It's like more utility than it is storytelling to me. Like, it's like you. And I understand. I understand. You have to know everything on day one. You know, like that's the rule of the pilot is like by the end of your first episode. You should know everything about the show. Yeah. Is what I understand. I don't feel like that's 100% necessary. And maybe in the days of streaming, that's not necessarily the case anymore because those shows are dumping all at once. Mm-hmm. And maybe yeah. you get out of practice of having to hear that kind of thing. I definitely because... think the rules have changed. A yeah, lot. the rules have changed, sure. Um, but again, Sliders is a great example of how it can be done. We did know everything we needed to know by the end of the first episode. Yeah, and it didn't feel like the show ever spoon-fed any of it to us. Even yeah. the scene with other Quinn, you right. know, was like, it came at a point in the show where the audience had been sort of prepared for it. Yeah. I, and maybe I, they do have questions about what's going on, you know? I, I just, I like, it's just a really, really sharp hour of TV. Yeah, I am genuinely shocked that it's as good as it is. I was really oh, sure. anticipating, oh, like, oh, let's watch this for a joke. And again... Not to say it's immaculate television or whatever. There's clearly some very bad dialogue. Some It doesn't look great. But the storytelling in that first episode is just, it's just really good. Like, really surprisingly good. And the second episode was passable. And sort of, I see what you're doing here, you know? Yeah. Oh, uh, I get it. it. <laughs> no, I mean, yeah. I get it. No, we're yeah. good. I get it. <laughs> Although, to be fair, uh, it does end on a good note, too. Like, the end of your movie, your two-part movie or whatever. Everything's the same. They're back home. It all feels like they've made it back to where they're... Oh, and I made a note of this. They even have a homeless guy on the park to let you know he's back, just like Back Back to the Future. Future. (laughs) Fair. Um, That's fair. Yeah. yeah. Who is also a communist. (laughs) Right. So things worked out really well for him on Earth too, but <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, it's just just goes to show you. I mean that that social <laughs> socialism also, really helps out. Yeah, and it's also not a wasted moment. No, you know, I no, mean it's, it's funny. You, yeah, you bring it up as a joke, but yeah, it's not a wasted moment. Like he has a relationship with this character, and on the other world, you see how the world is different because this guy that you have been introduced to is different on this world. Yes. In this way. I mean, it, it, everything's there for a reason. It's very economical. They've trimmed all the fat off that first pilot. It's, it's really, really pretty sharp. And then by the end of the second episode, you're right, the gate squeaks. They're home. And then there's a shocker at the end that says, right. oh, yeah. got to come, gotta come back next week. Yep. Turns out they're not home. And the one big difference being that Quinn's father on this world is still alive. Here's a question I have for you. Why is it that the only characters, this only happens in fiction, because no one in real life says this, but the only (laughs) characters who ever said, what's the matter? You look like you've seen a ghost. Are the people who are supposed to be dead. (laughs) Yeah. They're the only characters that ever say, nobody says that in real life. Right, right. I mean, it's right up there with the hokey... Like, he's standing right behind me, isn't he? Yeah, he's standing right behind me, isn't he? Yeah. 
or Wade's comment, my ex-boyfriend thinks I'm going on a hot date. Or those hockey game that we're going to, you know, like, <laughs> right. yeah, all right. Yeah. We didn't talk about it, but I do really like Arturo's introduction in the classroom and stuff like that. Oh, um, yes. Yeah. That's a really great. good scene. Great intro. That, I love the other students in the class. Right. They're all so weird. Like, I don't know how that one Spicoli guy got in there, but he's he's there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I also buy that, okay, if he's there... You know, Arturo says they're the best of the best. I mean, maybe he's just a really bright goof off, you know? Maybe so, maybe so. Yeah, Yeah. it's a good good scene. And yeah, I I am glad that we did this. Yeah, give Uh, it a watch, folks. I hope you guys will go at least watch that first hour of Sliders because it is just a great hour of genre television. Yeah. And, you know, you may think, oh, Jerry O'Connell, sure. But it's like, he's really good in this. Yeah, he is. And he's not, he's not a, like, why does he get a bad rap? He's really good in Jerry Maguire, too. He plays Kush, the quarterback on Jerry Maguire, which is one of my favorite, uh, it's one of my favorite movies. I like that movie quite a bit, actually. And yeah, he's good in that. And people just jealous because he's with Rebecca Romaine. Maybe. And he's got that great hair. I know that's he what I'm really has some great hair. Here's here's <laughs> something I took umbrage with when um Arturo comes into Quinn's basement for the first time. He uses a lot of choice adjectives to describe Quinn, and I agree with most of them. But <laughs> one of them that he uses is unkempt, and I'm like, wait a minute. <laughs> well, this is maybe... a guy who looks like he works on his hair for like 30 minutes every morning. <laughs> maybe he walked past his bedroom or something and saw all the dirty clothes all over the. Uh... Maybe so. He's supposed to be unkempt. Yeah, but Jerry O'Connell and unkempt don't quite work together. And I'm going to mention this. I may end up cutting it out. But I did like when he wakes up at the very beginning in his intro and he wakes up. He's been sleeping in his clothes uh, a la, you know, Marty McFly. Right. And he goes to rub his eyes and he still has his glasses on. Yes. That's a really good moment. Great touch. I really like that moment bumped his fingers and had to take his glasses off it was like i don't know something about little moments like that that and the gate squeaking yep. and the just god you know like it that show deserved to be much better based on that pilot yes yes i agree like it had a good foundation to build on and uh maybe it's way better than we remember yeah, I mean, the pilot we'll was way better than this. I remembered. So, yeah. <laughs> so maybe we will come back. Maybe we'll explore uh, sliders a little bit more during one of these break periods. We'll be back to Quantum Leap next week. Yeah, with Robert Picardo and the Atom Bomb. Yes. We hope. I was all primed and ready, and instead, you know. I was, run. oh man, I was so excited for it. I want to hear Picardo talk about it. he's become Shiva, destroyer of worlds or something. No, I can't wait. I can't wait. Yeah, I. Uh, it's like my sports analogy. I'm hoping that these two reruns are their bye weeks, and they're going to yes. rest and shake the rust <laughs> off and come back with a winner. I'm watching. We'll see. We'll see. Yeah, Folks, if you have any questions, if you have any comments, if you want to talk about sliders with us, heck, if you want to implore us to become an all-sliders podcast... You can reach out to us at oboyqlpod at gmail.com. That's O-H-B-O-Y-Q-L-P-O-D at gmail.com. Also, I invite you to listen to the other shows on the Paprika 
Podcast Network. Currently, we are still marching through our Nerdy for 30 all January long, counting down the 30 MCU movies in order based on the aggregate scores of about 30 members of the Paprika community, myself included. We've just crossed the Spider-Man Homecoming threshold and are very close to the top 10 at this point. Very interested to see how that shakes out. So give those a listen as well, won't you? (laughs) But until next time, when we'll be back, I'm Brian. And I'm Nate. And we'll be here in the waiting room. (laughs) 